Um, let's, uh, let's pray real quick, and we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. That we were able to, to come and worship you and hear uh, about you and from you. And Father, we could come and just uh, feel your presence and feel your love. Father, we pray we would do just that, that we would feel your presence, that you would fill this place up, and we would leave um, affected and changed by you. Amen. Um, in the wake of, of Dorian and everything else that's going on, um, it's Labor Day weekend, which is, yeah, well, happy birthday, look at that, there you go. And so, you just get all kinds of wonderful things for your birthday. <laughs> so it seemed appropriate anyways to talk about labor on Labor Day weekend, especially before the storm hit. Um, a couple of of admissions, I guess I need to, to have full disclosure. Uh, one, I really like my job. Um, I really do. I love my job. Um, I get to go to work and do something that I enjoy and love, and it's it's neat. It's fun. Uh, and, and two, I should also say that I've also never had a real job, um, <laughs> which is probably why the first one is, because I've never, I'm 32 years old, I've never worked a real job in my life. Um, my first job was at a batting cage. I worked there for two weeks when I was in high school, and I got fired because the owner, I refused to wash a window for the third time because he was tired of looking at me. So I just quit and are fired. I'm not sure which. My first real job was playing professional baseball. Did that for a little while. Um, after that finished, um, I coached for a little while um, here in, in Central Florida. And then I worked for the U.S. Forestry Service for a little bit as a uh, fire lookout in the Shasta Trinity National Forest in Weaverville, California, which meant I lived uh, on top of a mountain by myself for about six months and just looked for fire and talked to people on the radio. Um, and then I came down from the mountain, shaved my beard off. It was about down to here. And through some very strange and fortuitous turn of events, I became a professional actor, which I have been full-time for about three years. And how I got to that point in my life, I still have absolutely no idea. Um, but it's a blessing. I do uh, shows at Disney and Universal. I've done, done that for about three years, but my primary... Um, Profession is TV, commercials, and film, or at least trying to do TV's commercial and film. It seems like sometimes I audition more than anything else. I do. I love my job. <laughs> you know, two days ago I was painted all green. And I was running around Toy Story Land pretending I was a Green Army man. It was wonderful. <laughs> I get to say whatever I want, and nobody can say anything to me. It's great. But the sad fact is, most people don't necessarily share that sentiment, that they don't particularly care for what they choose to do every day of their lives. There's a Gallup study, and it says 70% of American workers say that they don't like their jobs. 70%, that's a little more than, than two-thirds. And what's amazing is the American average is much lower than the worldwide average. If you lived in China or Japan, the number is 90 to 95% of people say they do not like their jobs. Only 15% of people in America are passionate about what they do. 62% are disengaged. Say they are disengaged means they don't care, they have checked out. 
just go to work, get their paycheck, go home. And 23% of workers are actively disengaged, which means they are actively trying to sabotage what they do and who they do it with. They are trying to undermine everything that everybody else is trying to accomplish. And you hear that number, 23% of people are actively seeking to destroy and watch the world burn. Like office space, Milton, he's getting a stapler stolen, he wants to burn the place down. That's 23% of people. And you think about that, and it's a big number. It's almost one out of every four. And so, but if you think about it long enough, you start to think of people, and you're like, oh, yeah, I do see those people. And if you don't see those people in your mind when you think about it, the old adage goes, it's probably you. In which case, <laughs> you should probably pay a little bit closer attention than everyone else. Nobody likes what they do. And clearly, this isn't the way God designed it to be. And God set us forth. He created us with a specific purpose in mind, and his, and his design is perfect. It's perfect in its love, perfect in its wisdom, and perfect in its kindness. He didn't put us into something that he wanted us to suffer with. He didn't put us somewhere as like, well, just stick him there and then just see what happens. We were meant to find joy in what we do. Jesus in, in the 15th chapter of John, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and my joy may be made full. Not that you might have joyful moments. Not that you might have joyful weekends. Not that you might have joyful vacations. That my joy may be made full. Every day, every moment, at work, at home, everywhere we go. C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And if joy is the serious business of heaven, then that means that our business should be joy. In each and every part of our lives, including and especially our jobs. The main text for today, if I can figure out how to use this thing, is uh, the, it's Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. If you have a Bible... Uh, turn there with me right now. We're going to read it real quick and, and kind of jump in and figure out how we can find joy in our work. Colossians three twenty three to 24. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. So many people are simply enduring their jobs. That they see their jobs as a vehicle to get them to somewhere else. They do this so that they can do this later. I remember when you were in school, you would look up at the clock and you would see that there was one hour left in school. And you go, all right, one hour, I can do that. That's 30 minutes, two times. That's 15 minutes, four times. That's two minutes, 30 times. I can do two minutes, 30 times. And you start counting them down. And so often, it seems like our work becomes the same way. Even at Universal, I have these 15-minute sets where I play with a dinosaur, and I scream the whole time. I'm like, all right, just three sets. We can get through this. We can get home. It's fine. But when our work becomes one of those endeavors, those minutes become hours. Those hours become days. Those days become weeks, weeks, months, and months, years. And eventually, we wake up. And we realize that we have wasted years upon years of an opportunity that God gave us specifically and pointedly and for a very, very special purpose. 
No part of our lives were meant to be wasted. If our God is one who is perfectly wise and perfectly loving, then he wouldn't put us in a position or put us in a job that he didn't want us to use to its fullest potential and use for him. James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift comes from above. It doesn't mean that every bad gift comes from below. It means that everything that we're given is a good and perfect gift from God the Father. And like with any and every gift that we are given, there is going to be, we are responsible for it and we are going to have to answer for it at some point. He gave it to us so that we could fulfill his purpose for us and we could also find joy in it. And the only place we find joy is squarely in the arms of our Father. Which means the only way we can find joy in our work is by finding Him in our work. So, how do we do that? We're going to look at two things we don't do with our work, three things we do. The first is we don't let our work become our idol. Deuteronomy 5, 7, do not have other gods besides me. It's very clear, very, very easy to interpret. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It means I don't have any idols instead uh, uh, to replace me, God. And it's fairly easy to look at idols and think, well, I don't have uh, any kind of gold little calf uh, sitting in my bedside. I don't bow down and worship it, so I'm okay. But, but really, when we look at an idol, all we're looking at is what is most important to us? What is our priority? So I guess the question at first is, if you could have one thing right now, what would it be? If you lost one thing right now, what would you miss the most? Or maybe, maybe what do you put your hope in? I know with, with what I do, you put your hope in your talent. You put your hope in, in your hard work. You put your hope in your persistence. You hope, put your hope in, in the fact that you are going to, to persevere. You put your hope into luck, into any number of different things, and you can insert your own things into there. If that is where your hope is found, then that is your idol. Or how about this? Would your faith change if you lost your job tomorrow? That if you knew that you were going to wake up tomorrow morning and your job would not be there, your, your means to make a living was not going to be there, would you still be able to stand here and raise your hands and sing lovely, wonderful songs to Jesus in joyful worship? Or would you be a broken human being, unable to find joy in what is the most joyful of things? The acting game is weird in the sense that it's a 24-7, 365 kind of pursuit. It is, because... You don't know where your next job is coming from, and so you pursue it and you pursue it. And when, what happens when you do that is that you wind up forgetting about so many different things that, that, that you shouldn't forget about. And it's kind of the same way in almost any job. If you're trying to get ahead, you have to, to sacrifice other things to make sure that you get that promotion, or you're in the right position, or you find favor with the right people at the right time. And success is fine. Success is wonderful. God designed us for excellence. And so I think that if we desire success for the right reasons, then it is well and it is good. 
But it is when that pursuit of success takes the place of things that, that, we, that are more important. That's when it becomes an idol. If our success at the workplace comes um, instead of our family, instead of our church family, instead of our own personal wellness, and especially our own personal faith, and those things cannot and should not be placed where they are, the pedestal they are given in our lives. Because when they do, what winds up happening inevitably is it becomes who we are rather than what we do. It's two, we can't let our work become our identity. John 1.12, but to all who received him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. When we introduce ourselves to people, um, if you come from where I'm from, the first thing you ask them is, where are you from? What high school did you go to? That's uh, southeast Louisiana. But the second question is always, what do you do? It's easy. It's a way we can understand who we are and, and find common ground. It's a great thing. What do you do? You say, oh, I know my dad did that or something and so on and so forth. It's a great way to find common ground. And that's fine. But it's when that job becomes more than just a placeholder for, for an information giver. I remember when I was a kid, I would watch, every year I'd watch the induction ceremonies to the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was always some guy, you go, I just want to be remembered as. It was like the, this, the thing they always said, I want to be remembered as. And it was, I always want to be remembered as a, a great teammate. That was one I always used for my players. Just be a great teammate. Be remembered as a guy who just loved the game of baseball. I want to be remembered as, as, a, as the best catcher of all time. Whatever it was, they all had something they wanted to be remembered as. So I guess the question is, as far as an identity goes, what do we want to be remembered as? How do we want to be remembered? See, the disciples all had backstories. They all had very full and rich lives before and after they came to know Jesus. And you have fishermen. You had uh, Andrew, Peter, James, and John. You had Matthew, the tax collector. You had Simon, the zealot, which is my favorite one because it meant that he ran around trying to cause revolution for the Roman Empire. Didn't say what his job was, but he was a zealot. And I think that's fun. The thing is, they all had jobs, they had families, they had all kinds of other things that they did, but the most important thing about them, the thing that they are going to be remembered for, for all of eternity, is that they were followers of Jesus Christ. People who lived out a mission just as we are called to do in whatever we do. If we make work our identity, then we will inevitably neglect the real work that we were called and created to do. So we, one, bring his light. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew five fourteen through 16. One of the things about, especially working at the theme parks and entertainment, is they put you on uh, some pedestal. That they think you are really cool and great, and, and, and it's, it's a really weird, almost high school popularity world. Um, three years ago, I lost my grandfather. And he was 
um, an amazing man who was one of my best friends in the world, and, and we lost him. He had had a stroke, and he had not been doing great, but his death was still unexpected and, and, and a surprise. And I was an absolute wreck emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, and, and I didn't know what to do. And, and so I decided the best way that I could handle this and the best way to help myself was to be as transparent as possible with everyone I knew. You know, and, and it wasn't, it certainly wasn't for any altruistic reason. I figured that's, if it, that happens, and that's great. But the reason why I did is that maybe if they see what I'm going through, they can help me. And so I said, I'm, I'm not okay. This is what I'm going through. And I put things on social media, and then I was, I was very transparent when I was at work and to say, hey, here's what I'm going through, and I'm not doing real well. Through the course of, of that and me being open about the things that I was struggling with emotionally and spiritually, um, unbeknownst to, to me and, and all the rest of the people that I worked with at Universal, there was a, a, a guy who had just lost his dad. And in much the same way, he and his father were very close to one another and, and, and had always been in ways that, that I understood all too well. The problem was he couldn't talk to his mom because she was grieving the loss of the love of her life. He, he couldn't talk to his wife because she had a, a, a bad relationship with her father, so it wasn't the same thing, and he didn't want to get... Uh, make her feel uncomfortable and, and so for whatever reason he decided that because of what I had talked about and what I had shared he could come to me and helping him through his grief allowed me to see that there was purpose in the chaos and there was purpose in the pain and it helped me to find um, joy in the midst of absolute sadness and sorrow There's a quote um, widely attributed to Plato, but it's not. It's from a guy named Reverend Dr. John Watson in the 1800s, whose pen name was Ian McLaren, which says that be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. I had no idea what, what he was going through. But really, that didn't matter. You don't need to know what someone's going through to help them through it. And just by being a light, just by being a presence of kindness, of care, of, of, of humility, of service, compassion, um, you're going to help people through things that you can't even begin to understand and imagine and you'll maybe never even know until you get to heaven. And it doesn't even need to be big things. It doesn't need to be sickness or death or, or any kind of major grief. If, if you hate your job, you're probably not alone. Just help somebody get through their job. You know, Be someone's reason to love to come into work, not their reason to loathe it. And that is, it's through just being humble, through acts of service, by being compassionate, by being, showing patience, by doing things intentionally for other people, or even just changing your attitude. Which is easier said than done. <laughs> Small things, big things, everything in between, because a little bit of light goes a really long way. And when we can be a light, 
when we can allow the light of Jesus Christ to fill us up until it is beaming forth from every fiber of our being, we take our workplace from a place that is filled with darkness and despair and turn it into a place that is filled with light and with hope and with love and with joy. And that's what we're called to do, to take ownership of where we've been placed. That God put us here for a reason. That is, that is our mission field. And when we take this ownership, then we bring his lordship. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, for you were called to this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. It's First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 21. If we understand and we accept that we've been put in a specific place for a specific reason, then we can take ownership over what we do there and what happens there. That you may not be a missionary in a third world country spreading the gospel. You may not be a, a preacher standing behind a pulpit or a music stand yelling at people on Sunday morning, but you are a missionary and you are a minister. Regardless of where you find yourselves any day of the week, you are a missionary and you are a minister. And the, probably the greatest mission field you have is your workplace. It's how you treat those around you, how you conduct yourself. Because at the end of the day, who is our boss? It sounds really cheesy and corny, but at the end of the day and the end of a lifetime, who is your boss? God. Which means that everything we do reflects on our boss. So if you are lazy, you're not honoring your boss. You're not honoring God. If you are late to work, you're not honoring God. If you are engaged in bickering, if you are uh, uh, idly gossiping in the break room, if you, are, if you have an a incurably bad attitude, these things are not honoring the God that you serve who has placed you in this position. But inversely, if you are working hard, if you are showing up on time, if you are doing your job to the best of your ability with excellence, if you're being kind and helping people with their work, then you are honoring God. You are taking ownership over what you do and how you do it. Because when we honor God in our workplace, we show everyone that we encounter him by our example. We should follow in his footsteps so that people might follow in our footsteps to him. Because when people encounter our God, even so simply as through an example, we bring his love. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It says love one another three different times here. That's Jesus, so it must be important. Love is a choice. So you can tell someone about Jesus as many times as you want to. You can scream at them until they are blue, you are blue in the face and they're bruised in the face. But if you don't show them that love and that Jesus that you are talking about with your life, then they will never, ever hear a word you say and you're wasting your breath. Love is a choice. You can dislike your job and still love it. 
You can dislike your job and still love it. Just like you can dislike your coworkers and still love them. That you can choose to wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I'm going to love my job. I'm going to love everyone around me. I'm going to bring the love of Jesus Christ into wherever I go to where that everyone I see today experience his love in a way that is personal and unique and intimate. See, we're going to be a stumbling block to people one way or the other. We're going to make them stumble away from God or right into his arms. So be a stumbling block that causes people to stumble right into the loving embrace of God. Love hard, love often, love well, love like Jesus. See, we all want our jobs to be fulfilling and satisfying and everything that we dreamed it would be when we were little kids. And this is how we do that. We don't let it become our idol. We don't let it become our identity. We bring his light. We bring his lordship. We bring his love. It's been a weird week. I think we can all agree on that. The amazing thing to me is we have this storm that is brewing and I had people that I work with who were excited because it meant they got a few days off of work most likely. But you have this life-threatening storm and what you're most concerned about is how many days off of work you're going to get. That's just not how it was intended to be. And then me, I've had a weird few days you, you kind of learn that you audition for things as an actor and then if you just forget about them, but, but sometimes that's harder to do than others. And there was a, a something that came up that I read for, auditioned for it. Uh, they called me back and then called me back again. And I was like, this is going to be a great thing. This is going to be a wonderful opportunity for me and it was going to make a big difference um, both career-wise and also um, in my pocketbook. And so there was um, foolishly a lot of hope placed into that one thing. And they get an email yesterday while I'm working on this saying, hey, we're going a different direction. And it made sense. It made perfect sense that this was going to be the best thing ever. I was going to go there. It was going to be a great time. And I was going to, it was going to launch something different. It was going to be a great time for everyone involved. And then it just didn't happen. And then I sat there for five minutes. And all of a sudden, um, I look down and I see this. And I see what I'm preparing and what I'm talking about. It didn't steal my joy. Our hope is found in God. Our joy is found in Jesus Christ. And if our joy is found in Jesus, then we will find our joy everywhere we go. So if you are having trouble finding joy in your job, if you are having trouble finding joy in your work, then maybe we just need to find Jesus first and foremost. Because if we find him first, then we do find joy. And if we have Him, if our hope and our joy is centered on Him and nothing else, then we can work the worst job in the world, the dirtiest jobs ever, the things that are the most uncomfortable and painful to do, and yet we will still be the most joyful people to ever walk the face of the earth. Because our joy is not found in what we do, our joy is found in who we do it for. And that is a beautiful, special, blessed thing. Because that joy 
cannot be taken away from us. That joy is not dependent on how our week goes. That joy is not dependent on on how successful I was this week. That joy is dependent on something that will never go away and never change, never leave us, never forsake us. And it will always, always, always satisfy us. If you believe that God is working for you, then it is my charge for you this morning to work for him. If you believe that God works for you, work for him. And I promise you, I guarantee you that if you do that, you will find joy in your work. And that joy will trickle down to every other aspect of your life. Let's pray.